When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The Final Furlong Podcast is proudly brought to you by our official betting partner, Kaluki Sportsbook. With betting on all sports, immediate interaction with experienced traders, instant withdrawals, and the best odds guaranteed on UK and Irish horse racing. Kaluki have prominent betting pitches at race courses across the UK. Join us now at kalukisportsbook.co.uk. And the final furlong is brought to you by our official syndicate partner, All About Sunday. The ultimate racehorse ownership experience. Download the app to get involved with world-class trainers, including Henry DeBromhead, Gordon Elliott, and Donald McCain. Join us at allaboutsunday.com. And now, get busy listening and get busy winning. Here's your host. Emmett Kennedy. And you're very welcome to the show. It is great to have your company and I'm delighted to say that once again we are joined by the champion jockey Oshin Murphy to break down an epic weekend of racing. Oshin, great to have your company again. Hi Emmett, it was truly a brilliant weekend. We always look forward to Irish Champions Weekend. It's just a, started a couple of years ago, but it's been a fantastic success so far. Yeah, fair play to them because... There was a race in the UK to try and secure that weekend, but Ireland got in there first, and oh, good! Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the key thing is, like, Ascot do a great job at Champions Day, but they did have yeah. to move to the hurdles track a couple of years ago, uh, if not the chase track, in fact. Uh, and ground has become a, a constant thorn in their side. That doesn't tend to be... I know that it was obviously an issue this weekend, but it doesn't tend to be. And we're also getting the best of the French horses coming over as well. We didn't really have... Like we had Mishriff come over and Al Nakar, but uh, to have the, the leading French horses, that's becoming a rarer and rarer thing in the UK. So it's it's important that Irish Champions Weekend continues to attract the very best. Yeah, it is very important. I think it fits well into the calendar for the French trained horses. Uh, the Irish Champions Stakes is a very prestigious race. I remember watching... Galileo fantastic light in a duel and uh, it rarely disappoints yeah that was an epic epic battle um, and my favourite winner is by far High Chaparral in 2003 he was absolutely spectacular and he was coming into this race having prepped in the in the Royal Whip after an injury setback which had ruled him out for most of his four year old career but he uses the Royal Whip as a springboard to success and Aidan O'Brien uses the exact same formula for Luxembourg this was a real example, and I can't thank Aidan again enough, and the whole team at Belly Doyle for securing that, because he spoke so eloquently about Luxembourg, and he really gave you confidence in what he was saying about him and how the prep had been going at home. I want to ask you something about uh, something that Aidan said as well a little bit later. 
But this is just a, a true example of Aidan O'Brien's brilliance as a trainer. It was an epic performance from horse, rider, and trainer. Yeah, uh, Luxembourg is obviously a very, very talented horse. Uh, he was unfortunate to get a setback after the uh, Kipco 2000 Guineas when he clipped heels early on the race and he did very well to finish off and run run as well as he did. Uh, he was very good in the virtual futurity stakes as a two-year-old and it's brilliant to see a horse by Camelot go on and win group ones uh, of this stature. Um it uh, be interesting to see where they go next. Um, did Aidan say something after the race? Yeah, he said that there was a three-race plan after his setback, and the three-race plan was the Royal Whip, then the Irish Champion Stakes, which he badly needed, the Irish Champion Stakes, and the Ark. Right. Yeah, well, well that makes sense. I mean, the Ark, if by it turns up, is shaping up to really be a, an outstanding uh, race, as it deserves to be. I mean, it's... it's um, it's the one race I'd like to win more than any other. Well, it is Europe's most prestigious race, and it makes sense that that is where Bayid would go. But Angus Gold was again trying to just calm things down during the week. He was saying that the decision is not made. Uh, you and I have spoken about this before. We spoke about it after York when we were reviewing the Judgment International meeting. Uh, or the Ebor Festival, as I should call it. Sorry, William Darby, we'll get it right. Um, <laughs> the closer we get to it, and just to deviate for a second, because he is he is by far the standout. He's seven to four with bookmakers who are prepared to put him in. Most don't quote him because he's not entered yet. But if he does, do you think that the closer we're getting, the more William Haggis is starting to go and, and the entire team are starting to go, let's roll the dice, let's go for the arc? I'm unsure. I, th- I think uh, there was a lot of positivity, but we haven't heard anything of late. Uh I think if the ground was to turn very slow, they would be against running by over a mile and a half at Longchamp. Um, whereas they might roll the dice at Ascot over 10 furlings, and particularly if one of those events is going to be his last race. And I'm sure you know, the horse's unbeaten record is important to them. And, uh, and to be honest, in my view, if he's healthy, it doesn't matter where he lines up, he'll win. Yeah. That is kind of the impression that you're getting. Um, that unbeaten record is really a burden because it, if it is affecting, <laughs> if it is, it's like a noose around your neck. If you, if it's affecting where you're deciding to run a horse in order to keep that unbeaten run protected, like that was one of the great things about See the Stars that he'd been beaten on debut, but then won every other race, and I think that made yeah. things a little bit easier for John Ox and the owner because they weren't thinking, oh no, we're going to lose the unbeaten record if we roll the dice in the arc. Yeah, possibly. I mean, they managed his career incredibly well. Uh, I, I've watched that career maiden numerous times, and you know he was stuck down the inside. He didn't really have anywhere to go, and um, and he finished off under a hands and heels riding, um, and he clearly stepped up significantly uh, after that. Um, I mean, Baid was actually well back in the race at Leicester and had a, a long way to go to catch the front runners um, when Dane O'Neill rode him first time out and he I, I, I like these unbeaten records I'd like him to maintain it yeah listen I would too I, I would love it if he managed to keep his unbeaten record it would be quite fantastic but it does become just a slight burden um, see the stars of course won the Irish Champions Stakes back in 2009 before going on to win the arc in that stellar incredible season 
Uh, and hopefully we are going to get this matchup. Hopefully we are going to get Bayid versus Luxembourg. But assuming he's okay, Luxembourg is the one who will definitely go. Um, and looking sure. at his makeup, so he hasn't tackled a Malfour yet. Neither has Bayid, obviously. Uh, but he was favourite for the derby. Um, given his makeup, how do you think he'll fare at Paris Longchamp? Uh, I don't think he will have any any problems. I think um, he relaxes, and uh, I mean, he can be a difficult track uh, if you're on a keen horse that you want to get a position on. They can get lit up as you turn and go downhill, uh, but I don't see any problems for him. It was a terrific ride from Ryan. Um, and it needed to be power-packed in the end as well. And you have to have the firepower, and clearly he did in, in Luxembourg. But it ends up in this sustained war of attrition with Ernesto, who is a Group 1 winner himself and won the, the Grand Prix de Paris and is a, a top-class horse, one that we talked about extensively on the preview show. Um, for all that we were all over Luxembourg, it did kind of come down to the fact that Ernesto was probably going to be the big danger to him. Um, yeah. And, and so I think the right French, I know that we'll talk about Vidani in a second, but I think the right French horse has finished second. I, I love this performance, but I also quite like the fact that Luxembourg had to fight for it and there was no issue with that. We saw that in the Royal Whip. He had to fight against an inferior horse and really fight and, and produced it, but he's had to fight against a proper Group 1 horse here and has managed to produce the goods. Yeah, he's very, very tough. And um, the bottom line is the more we look at the Kipco 2000 guineas, when Luxembourg was beating two and a quarter lengths behind Caribus, uh, the more one may think he might have won that day if he didn't clear peels. Um, so uh, we're talking about a, a really serious animal um, who might be unfortunate to to not have an unbeaten record. Group one winner at two. Um, Rob did the chance to win a classic having missed the derby through injury and now a group one winner at three winning one of the most prestigious European races in the Irish Champion Stakes the arc is next I am certain and listen it's not the first time that I will have to be corrected or that I'm just plain wrong Oshin but I am certain that I read something from a Coolmore spokesperson or Aidan saying that Luxembourg would stay in training at four and yet when I asked him okay. that last week in the stable tour he went oh no no decision is made now, sometimes you can, read, right. you can read way too much into something that's being said. But it was the way he said it that made me think, oh, you know you're going to win the Irish Champion Stakes and you really fancy your chances of winning the ARC. In which case, <laughs> thanks very much. Good night, good luck. Where's the next young talent going into the Coolmore roster? Oh, it's this fella. Um, he's obviously going to be plugged into the, to the stallion job straight away because what is there to prove coming back as a four-year-old if you win the ARC? If he wins it, yeah. that's his that's his season and that's his career on the race course done, which is kind of something that you, you obviously don't want to see that. You'd love to see him come back as a four-year-old. But commercially, and this is a business, that does make sense, Oshin. Yeah, it does. It most certainly does. Uh, now, the arc will take some winning, um, but he handles all types of ground and looks like he's improving and he's very, very tough. So... Um, you'd be very happy if you were asked to ride the horse in the race, you know. 100%. What did you make of Christoph Sumion and Videni in third? I thought he was a little unlucky. Um, um, I thought Ryan was very well positioned throughout. Uh, Christoph decided to settle towards the back and he ended up kind of challenging down the inside, but 
he wasn't flying home or anything. Um, disappointed really with his last half furlong. I thought he was he was weak late on. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I I just had very big aspirations for the horse, and he's run fine. Uh, but I just wish you know he finished a little bit closer. If he were to go for the arc, would you have any stamina doubts with him? Mm, it would. I would have questions. Yeah, mm. um, for sure. Uh, okay, his dam is by Monson, and she won over a mile and a half herself. And there's a lot of stamina in the pedigree. But um, you know, Churchill has had lots of uh, mile up to mile and a quarter success um, on the racetrack as a sire. Uh, I'm unsure he's had too many staying-esque type of horses and uh, maybe Vedeni on fast ground is uh, over 10 firms might be his optimum conditions, you know. And David Egan is probably feeling more vindicated with each run from Mishrif, but that's not going to fix what happened. Um, he ends up finishing fourth. Vedeni once again confirmed superiority over him. Colin Keane got him out fast, just like in the Judmont, he broke well in both of those races, whereas that's something that had become a real issue all the way back to Champions Day last year. He just seemed to be stumbling out of the stalls and, and blowing races. Um, Vedeni confirmed superiority over him again, and he was never a threat to Luxembourg and Ernesto, but what did you make of his run overall? I'm a huge Mishrif fan. Uh, I, you know, he ran fine at York. Um, a little bit disappointing at Ascot. A uh, little bit unlucky in the eclipse. Before that, he he didn't run his race in Saudi, um, but I think he sets a good standard. And um, you know, I, I don't think Dorsos was anything. Uh, what he was able to do on dirt and turf is truly very special. Very true. And this is almost certainly his last season racing as well. So uh, enjoy him while you can, unless there is a dramatic turnaround and he comes back as a six-year-old. But don't really see the, the point in that. Um, it would be interesting to see him on the dirt at the Breeders' Cup. And that would be really cool if they do that. But let's let's see what they decide to do. We have a new favourite for the arc. Obviously, Bayid on request with Kaluki is seven to four, if you want to roll the dice there. Uh, but Luxembourg is now favourite for the arc with, with Kaluki Sportsbook, six to one. From Alpanista at 15 to two, Torquato Tasso, last year's winner, eights title holder, the Japanese Raider, a 10 shot. We didn't see him, um, obviously, in France or in Ireland at the weekend. So remains to be seen what happens there. And Ernesto, who finished second, was a 12 shot. Uh, I could certainly get why people would like Ernesto at 12s, but hearing that list, if Bailly doesn't turn up, um, the 6-1 to one about Luxembourg does appeal. That might be recency bias, but it does appeal to me. Yeah, I'd agree. Um, look, I've watched a lot of title holder. I've never ridden you know, any of these horses, um, but uh, I think title holder goes as, as you know, a, a leading chance uh, for the Japanese of what they've sent in recent years. Um, and uh, and Aidan O'Brien knows how to win an arc. Um, so I think Ryan really has one to look forward to at Luxembourg. 
We'll double back to the arc uh, before the end of the show because we've got some other horses to talk about, including Elder Alderov, uh, who tried a mile four at Paris Longchamp last time. It did not work out in the Grand Prix de Paris, but it very much worked out back to staying distances. And this was a pleasing success in the final classic of the season, the Kazoo St. Ledger. He wins by two lengths from Haskoy, who ran a monster race for Rafe Beckett. Uh, and New London, the favourite, very uneasy in the betting. And quite disappointing in the end, really considering the, the hype surrounding him. But Elder Alderov, I interviewed Roger Varian for TalkSport on the day that he was running in the Queen's Vaz at Royal Ascot, and he could not have been more bullish about him. Um, and I was yeah. I was surprised that he was as disappointing as he was, but I, I was willing to forgive him that at Paris Longchamp, going back in distance. He's a proper stayer, Oshie. Yeah, fantastic. You know, he came from a, from the breeze ups, and um, you know, he's a son of Dubai. Really nice family of Carson Rousings and Miss Rousings, um, and um, I've thrilled for his jockey. Uh, you know, he's very, very talented. Twenty-three years of age. Uh, these horses are, are what you need to succeed. Also, his owner, um, his sinus Sheikh Khalid, uh, hasn't owned horses for that long, and his black and yellow colours are going to become more and more prominent in world racing. And it's it's great for the sport that these big races are being spread around it will help in the sales ring and um and yeah um i i was really thrilled with the result really really happy and it's amazing how things work because if david egan hadn't lost that job he would have to have been in ireland riding mishraf as it was he now fair enough it's a different day but it wouldn't have been it wasn't planned to be this was supposed to be on on the saturday and so he would have been booked by another jockey, uh, Roger Varian would have had to go with somebody else and then you would have had to stay with that jockey uh, because the circumstances of the race don't change. It's just been moved a day. Uh, so it's worked out terrifically well for him and he was very emotional afterwards and uh, paid tribute to, to Jack to Bromhead as well, which I thought was a really classy thing for him to do. Um, he's a very exciting horse for, for next year, as you say, and he, look, he cost an absolute fortune too. He does look the kind of horse who could be really interesting cup contender next season and possibly a contender against yeah. Caprios. Yeah, I mean, he was cheap now. He's not very big. That's He's true. got a massive heart. He's got the most beautiful head. Um, I, you know, I, I think all these sort of successes when you see different people win group ones, like I know we'll move on to it later, but Dermot World um, with Tarnawa's half-sister, it's it's brilliant for racing, you know. You like to see the winners, those big races spread a little bit and different uh, large owners who put a lot of money into the sport and being rewarded with success. Now, there was controversy after this. Haskoy is second past the post, but is demoted to fourth. So New London uh, ends up moving up to second yeah. and Jivan... Givaletto uh, ends up getting third. So we, we actually got the each way money with uh, Givaletto if you were on that horse, but um, Elder Alderov was the overall pick for us. What did you make of the stewards' decision to place Haskoy fourth? Um, I'm a little bit surprised. Uh, I haven't studied the race enough to, to form an opinion. I actually really respect that uh, the chief steward, Sean Parker, um, are being on the wrong end of his decisions a few times but um, you know he has logic often behind his thought process and uh, he can explain himself and and that's why I, I accept him um, and uh, 
you know, I think uh, Rafe Beckett is is considering appealing, or has actually said he's going to appeal. Um, and uh, you know, if that's what he wants to do, I can understand it. It's a filly, um, and uh, you know, for Jude Montanelli, it's important that these fillies get group on black type if they're capable of doing so. So, um, so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. And fillies and appeals in the St. Ledger have worked in Rafe Beckett's favour before with simple verse. So we'll see how this plays out. I was a little bit surprised as well. Uh, like yourself, I, I thought it was harsh and I wouldn't be surprised if the appeal overturns it. But Elder Alderov. Yeah, I mean, it, the interference happened a long way out. Mm. Um, and I think uh, Neil Callan is a good speaker in inquiries. Um, uh, you know, he spent a long time in Hong Kong, so um, that may have helped, you know. He's a great talker, Neil Callan. We released a, a Final Forum podcast special of Neil basically bashing the BHA um, in two separate interviews that I did with them, both live on air. One where he's having a go at Kempton and the fact that it's an all-weather track that can't handle heavy rain, which is farcical, uh, and that clearly needs to be relayed, that surface, and and then bashing the BHA over the fixture list. It's a good listen, and it's available now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all good podcast apps, and some rubbish ones as well. Um, Elder Alderov is, look, he wasn't affected by this, and it doesn't take anything away from him it's terrific for Roger Varian. It's great for David Egan, a first British classic for him and plenty more to come. And look, he's going to be a, a really exciting contender for Kiprios next season, who maintains his unbeaten record this season and adds a third group one to the list. This was the plan. Go for the Gold Cup at Ascot, the Goodwood Cup, and then come to the Irish St. Ledger. And Hamish has given him a fright, but not sufficient enough that you would be overly worried about Kiprios next season and what they decide to do with them. Um, he may very well take up an engagement in the arc as well. It's been it's been mooted, although they might be just uh, speaking out loud, uh, but have no real intention of going for it. He's undeniably the best stayer in Europe and possibly the world. Yeah, uh, I just love how tough he is. You know, he and he's such a strong stayer, and it's an unbelievable family. His dad is some producer. He's obviously. A half brother to search for a song. A full brother is he, full. and a uh, half brother to to Free Eagle, um, who was by High Chaparral. So, uh, you know, to, it's an incredible family. And again, for Moigler, um, you know, they they deserve this success. Uh, let's just very quickly go through it. Custom Cut won six hundred and thirty-one thousand, brother. Um, yeah. he's by not yeah. Marketo, so a half. Free Eagle. 602,000, and obviously a top-class horse for Dermot Weld. Search for Song, his full sister, who finishes third in the race. Uh, Sapphire was very useful for Dermot Weld. Falcon 8 was a good horse for him as well. Ama Grace uh, and Volok. It's a remarkable achievement from the damn polished gem, and remarkable that the family is so good. Um, in terms of, of what he does next, I mean, this was a case of, look, just turn up and hopefully everything goes all right. But we've seen upsets in this race in the past. The Late great Wicklow Brave caused one of the biggest upsets I've ever seen on a race course. Being at the Curra when Wicklow Brave and Frankie de Tori demolished Order of St. George, you could hear a pin drop. Mm. Uh, no one knew yeah, what to I say. I don't know if, or, if Order of St. George was, you know, uh, at his best that day. He was, he was a remarkable horse, but, um, but uh, yeah, there was there was no flukes about Kiprios. And look, Hamish is incredibly talented, albeit maybe 
a little bit um, difficult to keep him on pace. Uh, it seems by his staggered race program um, so far, but uh, he's clearly very talented. I don't think we need to pick any holes really in the form, you know. No, not at all. I, I would be prepared to mark what he did up, if anything, because the great Yates was beaten in this race. Like some of the greats have been beaten in the Irish St. Ledger when it was just seemed as though all, all they got to do is turn up. Um, mm. And I really admire what Kiprios has done. And I admire how tough he has been as well, particularly when you switch to the UK on the same day and you see Trushan getting beaten when a long odds on favourite and getting his ground. And the reason I bring that up is because when he's turned over in the Doncaster Cup with everything in his favour, it's just an example of how tough those races have been. And he only competed in one of those. He only ran at Goodwood. Uh, and perhaps they shouldn't have run him on that ground. Maybe that was one of the ones where they hummed and hawed and decided to roll the dice when they shouldn't have. But the fact that Kiprios has been able to come out and keep winning after all those hard battles just goes to show you how tough his constitution is and how classy he is. Yeah, exactly. Uh, he really gets his head down and fights and you know, I love just his action and his head carriage because Ryan in full flight on him is a sight to behold. It really is. Uh, the arc, the long distance cup on Champions Day or the pre-Royal Oak, what would you go for? Uh, the pre-Royal Oak. Yeah, that's the one that makes sense. Um, right, Pearls Galore was a big winner for Paddy Toomey in the Coolmore America Justify Matron Stakes, getting the better of Saffron Beach. Tenebrism ran a huge race to be third. And Homeless Songs was quite disappointing, but things would get better for Dermot Weld, as you alluded to earlier on. Uh, this was a really taking performance from Pearls Galore, though. Yeah, uh, fantastic trainer, you know. Paddy Toomey really, really is top class. Uh, she started her career in France um, in two maidens for Freddie Head, uh, daughter of Invincible Spirit. So her dam obviously made the trip to Irish, the Irish National Stud to be covered. Um, she's owned by a very successful breeder um, and uh, she's a homebred of his, you know, I just love the way Paddy Toomey has programmed this filly and um, she's had a few disappointing runs as well. Uh, she was no good at Deauville in the pre-Rothschild and I don't really know why. Um, you know, she seemed to relax in front that day and she just didn't finish. Um, and uh, she might be suited by a turn. That's, that's a possibility. Lots of horses are. I know, you know, uh, the car over a mile, um, it's, when you watch on television, it doesn't really look like uh, you turn very much, but you do. And, um, and yeah, uh, you know, to win a group one with a fully um, race of 108 is very, very clever placing. And I, I can't really pick any holes in the form. I thought Saffron Beach ran a race, was well placed by Holly Doyle. Tenebrism, you know, she's... I always had my doubts about her staying a mile, but mm. she ran very well in Deauville uh, last time in the Rothschild. And before that, in the same race, um, actually, the Pearl's Glory was in. And before that, she won the Prix Jean Prat over seven very well. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I think uh, Pearl's Glory stepped up massively on what she's achieved already. Terrific performance and a deserved Group 1 success for horse who'd run very well in Group 1 company. Highfield Princess makes it three Group 1s in a row and is clearly the best sprinter in Europe. It's a terrific story 
for John Quinn and writer Jason Hart. It's the Breeders' Cup next, yeah. and this was an emphatic victory in the Flying Five. Yeah, we've spoken about this before. Uh, you know, daughter of Night of Thunder, um, she started off in handicaps off a rating of uh, 57. Um, she tried a mile. Uh, you know, she drops back to five. Uh, it's honestly extraordinary um, how, she, how much she's improved. And she absolutely bolted up, you know. So hats off to the John Quinn team. It really is tremendous stuff. It's also a little bit galling when you think of the fact that Minzal is now gone um, and had to be retired mm. due to injury because he has backed up her form and stepped out of her shadow to win a group one in his own right. And he wouldn't be taking her on. He would have had Champions Day to himself. Now, no guarantee that he would have backed it up, but we need these star sprinters. Uh, the next plan with Highfield Princess is the Breeders' Cup. And look, they've, they've tasted international success already between France, Ireland, um, top group ones in, in the UK. Why not be able to go and roll the dice on arguably the biggest stage of all? Yeah, why not? I mean, um, she's owned by her breeder, uh, and it's it's a great story. And John Quinn can produce the goods. You know, he he really does a fantastic job with um with a not so massive group of horses. I thought his quote afterwards when he was asked about what's kind of like what's the secret to your success, John? And he didn't give any great recipe or method as to what they're doing back at base. She said. She was very lightly raced and she's had the time to be able to improve that she's bred to be a better older horse and she wasn't rushed as a two-year-old. Um, yeah, it's interesting because she's not actually that big, mm. um, but she she has a huge heart. She really does. and uh, It's a tremendous story and she's absolutely blitzed them. Uh, by far the best. And we needed a star sprinter and we have one now. Um, Dragon Symbol, listen, obviously you're very closely associated with them. I'd mark him up, and I was conscious of saying this beforehand. Am I saying this because Ushin's on the show? No, I've watched it back a few times, and I feel he was drawn on the wrong side, and that he has really stuck on quite well towards the end. I would be prepared to mark him up for that. What was your overall view on him? <laughs> I was a bit disappointed. <laughs> Slam him, Ushin! Slam him! Um, what do you? What would be the plan for him next now? Because He's taken a step forward at York, uh, and you were disappointed with this. So your overall view on his performance here and what you would like to see them do next? Um, I honestly, you know, I think the obvious one is to go to Ascot uh, for the champion sprint. It's a big part, and um, and he's won at Ascot before and obviously been demoted. Uh, so, um, so, yeah, I think... You know, I, I just I was inspired with hope after he won uh, an easier, an easy type race at Hamilton, um, and I thought he ran well in the Montorp on ground that would have been a touch too quick for him, and he really stayed on and finished. Um, but he he didn't back that up at the car. We shall see. We shall see how it plays out with Dragon Symbol. I still think his, his turn is going to come, and I'm still bitter about the fact that you got demoted that day. Bastards. Um, <laughs> New York City's turn may very well come as well, because I thought that was it's obviously his best run at Group 1 level, and I wouldn't be overly surprised if he manages to get into the frame, if not go and win, um, before the season is out. We'll switch to the juveniles. And you mentioned Dermot Weld. Uh, look, the market was all about meditate. 
I was all about meditate, and along comes this beautifully bred uh, filly sister to Tawana, most notably, and gets the job done. It they have pulled miles clear of everything else, and visually, she was absolutely stunning, Ashin. Yeah, yeah, exceptional. Um, she's a machine, uh, and um, brilliant for Crusades and Dermot World. Uh, you know, they they work very hard, and um, and they have a real, real. St- I just love the way she quickened up. She, I think, there's plenty plenty of strength and depth. I think uh, the second um, is a big filly that will do very well from two to three. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I I just, you know, I thought Chris gave her a lovely ride, an awful lot of confidence and uh, fair play to him, you know. I mean, she's beaten a really high-class mare, uh, high-class filly, and absolutely spanked everything else. So, the sky's the limit for Tahira as a three-year-old. Is she, in your mind, is she an Oaks filly? Is she a Guineas filly? Combination of both? Uh, no, no, I don't think she's an Oaks filly. Um, she's a Guineas filly. I, I don't think she needs to be going any further than a mile. You know, she she quickened up with a devastating turn of foot over seven there. Um, and, uh, and yeah, that's... Um, She's a daughter of Sione, as we say. I mean, that's his, he's obviously bred an arc winner. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I don't see her staying middle distances. I don't know what I was saying afterwards, that he was afraid that it was going to come a little bit too soon and to hear his career. It was only her second start. Not a bit of it. Um, the horse that she beat on debut, Dower House, has come out and won since. And she's beaten a Royal Ascot winner who was unbeaten and, and a multiple group race running filly. No, no, she, she's honestly, I, mean, she, I think she's a machine. Um, you know, I, I, I was really, really impressed. Sky is the limit with her. Uh, the Gosford to O'Brien National Stakes. The O'Briens were on the brink of having this themselves until Johnny Murta comes along. Intriguingly, Shartash, a little bit like Tahira, bred more for speed, which of course is not the Aga Khan's modus operandi, but it's interesting how this is playing out. But Alrifa ends up a surprise winner, uh, the son of Wooden Bassett beating Proud and Regal, who's a horse I've talked about in the show before. Shartash brought proper group race form. And Aesop's Fables ends up being a little bit deflating back in, in fourth place as the odds-on favourite. Uh, Joseph and Donica, mm. the brothers, fight out the finish. And Alrifa, look, he can he can only do what, what's there. And he was ridden very confidently, I thought, by Dylan. And clearly he's a horse they think an awful lot of. Yeah, class ride. Um, I actually messaged him, um, and uh, big horse out of Galileo Mare. Again, great for racing. And um, these owners have horses. I've ridden for them. They have horses in Doha and in France. Um, and uh, you know these colours. Uh, they they their brothers. They have a numerous colours um, uh, signifying each individual brother. But um. But, uh, yeah, lovely horse. And um, Dylan was very patient on him and he picked up smartly. I'm very intrigued as to what they do with him for the rest of the season, how he develops. He's exciting. Um, Proud and Regal looks to be a horse who's going to be a much better three-year-old. Yeah, again, big horse. Galileo, simply perfect. Uh, you know, Donica 
is a little bit unlucky at the moment. He has so many horses that are running well in these group ones and group twos, uh, hitting the crossbar. Um, but his time will come, and uh, you know he's trained plenty group one stars already um, in his short training career. Uh, this could be one to follow next season. I thought Shartash ran well, improved. Uh, well, definitely so out the seven. Um, got a little bit squeezed uh, late on. Um, you know, I, I agree. I, I think what Aidan said about Aesop's fables makes sense. So us with a lot of pace, we might see him dropping back to in trip to the middle pack. Yeah, that was intriguing to hear Aidan say that afterwards, that maybe it's about more speed for him. Um, I did wonder if there's a possible excuse with him and that maybe he bounced because... And the bounce factor is a very intriguing thing to try and work out. But he'd been off since the start of the season when he won the Futurity. The intention was to go to Royal Ascot with him. Obviously, that was then off the table. And he comes out and he puts up a huge performance off a layoff. And maybe it was just a case of combination of... The ground shouldn't have been an issue given his pedigree. But maybe it was just a combination of that was a big performance and he slightly bounced then back into Group 1 company. Is, is that possible? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that's very possible. Mm. I would not give up on him at all. Um, whether he's a guinea source remains to be seen, but I would not give up on him. Um, Aiden does have this incredible roster of two-year-old talent, and it continues to get better with August Roden, who won the KPMG Champions Juvenile Stakes. This is a race that Australia won a few years ago before going on, obviously, to great success. I love this performance. I love the pedigree by Deep Impact out of Rhododendron. And yeah, it doesn't was, get any better. It really doesn't. Yeah. He was hugely impressive. Yeah, yeah. Um, and looks a very straightforward horse as well. Uh, with plenty of size. Um, I'm sure you know the dam was incredibly tough. Uh, this fella should stay well. And um, yeah, won't probably put in a notebook for next season. Very hard to gauge. They've had so many good two-year-olds this year, you know, who's up towards the top of the pecking order. But, um, but Aiden will know that himself, as will I. He did say something very intriguing after the race, comparing her to, comparing him to, to his mother, that Rhododendron, really, yeah. when she would hit the front, she'd pull up. That she just would right. be a little bit lazy out in front. Um, and she made things difficult on Ryan and whoever would be partnering her, Shamey or Wayne, but that there is that little trait with him and that you do have to wait with him and he does get a little bit lonely when he's in front, but that he shows everything right at home. He's all class and they are going to try him in group one company before the end of the season. The most obvious race for him would be the Virtum for surety, John Dance's race. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. The Dewhurst exactly. will obviously talk, but they've got little Big Bear for the Dewhurst. So, yeah, it's going to be intriguing to see yeah. what he can do. Also, he was another one coming off uh, back of a layoff. It was 70 days that we hadn't seen him for. Um, and and this was a really tremendous performance. And, and one of, I think the fact that he was coming into it off the back of the layoff as well, it's just, it does give you more excitement for the future, particularly given that middle distance pedigree. Sure, sure. Uh, you know, I, I, think, um, I think what he achieved at Leopard's turn and figures isn't super impressive because these horses haven't had lots of runs and many of them have run, you know, in the nineties, um, on their first and second step. But, uh, but I think, um, he's going to stay 
10 furlongs uh, very well, um, if not a little bit further. And um, and I loved his attitude. Yeah, I love that as well. Um, he will have plenty of Group 1 options, including the Prix Jean-Luc Lagardère that will be in the mix from as well, and the aforementioned Vertum Futurity. It will be the very same for what I thought was the most taking Colt performance. Obviously, Dermot Wells Philly was the most impressive two-year-old performance of the weekend, but the most impressive Colt performance was Chaldine in the Champagne Stakes. And yeah, we were patting each other on the back here because we were very pleased with this one uh, going in. Look, it was farcical that it's a three-runner race. It's a one of the most prestigious juvenile races in the UK and you can only get three runners. Utterly ridiculous what's going on with British racing at the moment. But hey, that's the way it was. Given the setup, it could be that something odd happened. But I thought Frankie Dettori just had a no-nonsense ride on Chaldean. Said, okay, let's see how good this fella is. And he's very, very good on the basis of this. Silvernaut was quite disappointing. Um, Indestructible has a very solid level of form to be able to bring to the table. And he's absolutely blitzed the machine. Um, yeah, uh, his work at home, I actually wrote him uh, just before he went to Doncaster. Uh, he's very, very straightforward. Great attitude for a friend because he's not massive. Uh, he's a really athletic type of since he was such an expensive fool. And um, and there's no, I can't fault him at the moment. I thought he hit the line very well. Um, I'm unsure what Andrew wants to do with him next. You know, he, he might have to go down the Jewers route, but he'd have no bother staying a mile. And, um, and uh, yeah, he's answered every question so far. I think what Andrew was saying afterwards on Sky, uh, because he is in the Dewhurst, but he was seemed to be leaning more towards the Prix-Jean-Luc Lagardère or the Virtum Futurity. They were the two races he mentioned, but he didn't mention the Dewhurst. Yeah, uh, okay. Um, well, that's an interesting one. Like, it, for Of all the races to win, the Dewhurst probably takes the most winning, so um, I'd be very happy to see him going to Longchamp on after. Yeah. Um, I mean, we, we've talked about that in the past, that... It was a massively important race, race that Rocket Gibraltar won as part of his seven. Um, wait, did he, did he, was he then beaten in the Dewhurst and was that what brought an end? It would have been a lot longer. I'm going to have to go back in time and, and uh, look up his CV. But it was, he won the Lagadere. Um, it's not quite of the lofty heights that it used to be when uh, no, Glen Eagles, for I, example, I was, was the most. Yeah. Uh, it's still, though, a race that the big owners want to win. And Godolphin were strangely absent from the national stakes, which was still something that I have a bit of a raised eyebrow about. Uh, and Charlie Fellows was stunned as well that they weren't going to have to take on um, anything from, from Charlie's yard. Uh, I, I don't quite understand that. But Godolphin liked to compete in it. Colmore liked to compete in it. And Andrew Balding has decided that this is one that he's going to mention as well. It it's still an important race. It's just not quite of the level that it once was. Yeah, it's a group one. Um, they all take an awful lot of winning. Um, you know, it, it's it it might be a good spot for that horse. In all honesty, he um, he is uncomplicated. Uh, he loves to actually lead, even in his work at home. Uh, he it's not that he's ungenuine but when he works in the front he's, he's very genuine when he works in the front uh, he doesn't allow anything past him 
Whereas when you sit on him from behind, he's very happy just to uh, lob away up behind another horse, you know. And Frankie's quote afterwards was very interesting. He said he is not one-paced. I don't know why that was even coming into his mind if someone had said something to him, that he's got <laughs> plenty of gears. But he also said that if he was asked where to go, he'd take him to the Dewhurst. Right. Uh, well, he's probably thinking about what he doesn't have a ride in the Dewhurst at the moment. And uh, he quite like the prize money for that race. I spoke to Frankie this morning about the horse and... Um, I spoke to him before he rode him uh, yesterday as well. Um, he uh, he was impressed with him. Um, you know, there's no, there's you'd love his temperament and um, everything he's done so far has been has been perfect. You know. And you and I have talked about Silver Knot before. What did you make of that performance? Disappointing. Mm. Mm. I'm still a little bit bemused as to why Charlie Appleby didn't send anything over for the national stakes. And to be honest about it, this could be nothing. It does kind of make me a little bit nervous um, because it's it's great. These Aidan O'Brien two-year-olds that could be superstars, they all might do what Aesop's Fables did and just disappoint next time. The very same thing can happen <laughs> with the Charlie Appleby ones. You know, we've just seen, like, we're, we're very excited about Noble Style, but maybe he's going to bum out the next day. You don't know. That's the exciting thing about the juvenile talent. It's it's this a very exciting time of year as these new stars come along, but it's the potential. And I've said it before, I'll say it again. It's the hope that kills you, Oshin. Uh, you can get way too carried away with these horses only for them to then crush your dreams. Uh, and look, I was very excited by Chaldine. I think I, I want to ask you about classic prospects for next season as well, but it, it does just tether you down it just just make you realize that these horses actually have to go and, and do it and silver knot is, is an interesting example and i do wonder why charlie in a race that he's had incredible success in didn't send anything over with all the talent he has it does just raise an eyebrow a little bit uh, in terms of prospects for next season with, with Chaldine, what would be I mean, he's a 14 to one shot with kaluki for the 2000 guineas um Looking at, at his his relatives, they all seem to be speed influence, like seven furlongs, five furlongs, six furlongs is, is there. Is a mile going to be the the limit of his prospects? Or, or will the Frankel influence mean that 10 furlongs is within range for next season? Um, if you were to ask me uh, to guess, because you know we've only galloped him over six furlongs, um, and he won over six and a half at Newbury. Uh, we, um, I would think he will stay ten. Yeah, yeah. I'd be very confident Chaldean would would stay ten francs. Okay, I'm really interested in him for the two thousand <laughs> guineas. But bear in mind that I did say, uh, I think I'm going to back Aesop's Fables for the two thousand guineas, which I then did, and it was all looking so good. It's a anti post patent Luxembourg. For the arc, 14s. Thanks very much. Or was it 12s? It was 12s, wasn't it? 12s. Right, that's great. August Roden for the Derby, 16s. Happy days. Aesop's Fables for the Guineas, out to 20s. Uh, wow, wow, wow. Anyway, we'll, we live to fight another day. Um, let's combine all the French races into one, shall we? Uh, so we, we saw the arc trials. We had the Qatar Pre-Foy, the Qatar Pre-Vermay, um, and the Qatar Pre-Neil. What was your overall impression of what we got to see in the three races and did anything stand out to you as being an art contender? It was great to see Gregory Benoit uh, back with a group on winner. Um, 
He's had a very quiet spell. Uh, he used to be the French Ulster Cab jockey, and um, he uh, lost that role. And um, it was nice to see him win the Rene on uh, Sweet Lady. I thought Tom Macron was very good on Lilac Road. He had her in the perfect spot, and uh, you know he very very strong rider in the finish. Um, I, I don't think there's a lot of strength to that race. I thought Tuesday was disappointing. She probably was uh, a little bit out of her ground, um, and uh, she yeah, you know, that, ran well. In, I I, in I, I really I, I hate bashing jockeys, but God, that wasn't the best of rides from Irod Mendezabal, and he's a terrific yeah. rider, but that wasn't the best tactical ride. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure what what he was asked to do, but um, they ended up going slow and sweet lady. Now at all um, in the pre-nail uh, I didn't think it was, again it was a very strong race uh, I think uh, Tommy is uh, called Sim Camille is a you know group 2 horse and uh, quite a tough animal uh, but that's about it and um, I think the form of that race uh, isn't very good um, Deduce was disappointing and um, I think he probably struggled on that ground and um, and also uh, they said he'd improved massively from the run but you know he's run 10 pounds but it was more maybe uh, below his Japan or his um, Japanese derby win um, thought that was really really poor from him uh, but uh, you know let's see what he can do when he lines up in the arc and um and uh, what's the other race you want me to cover? It uh, very elegant. The, the pre-foy and oh, yeah. um, the, the pre my. I, I guess the big talking point here is very elegant because she was getting three pounds from her rivals, third in the Cox Plate, winner of the Melbourne Cup. Um, this was her second start. They they said that she was going to need the first, and that was disappointing. This was disappointing as well. I thought, and suddenly her arc weekend target is very much up in the air now. It's no longer all about yeah, we're going to go for the arc now. It's is it the pre-Royal Oak? Is it the Arc? They don't seem to know now. Look, and this race wasn't a strong rider, you know. Um, by definition, you know, has lost his way a little bit. Um, he, he's been quite disappointing, unfortunately. And um, and I can't, uh, I can't, you know. She led, um, Simeon had his own way in front. Uh, I don't. This isn't good enough, you know. Yeah, it's not. Um, it's another example of just how difficult it is for the Southern Hemisphere horses to come up to the Northern Hemisphere and succeed. We've yeah. already. It we've depends, already, you know. If you if you really examine racing post racings, um, uh, and if you believe in them, uh, then you would, you know, you your opinion on what she's achieved might might be slightly different to. Uh, what the Australians think she's done, you know. Yeah, I think we can get carried away with winning the Melbourne Cup. And it's a great race. All that jazz. It's a race that stops the nation. It was, in, it was in my head and I decided not to say it, but yeah. yeah. It's, she, she, she bolted up, you know, in the race. She won by four lengths, but uh, she's been beaten in the race previously. And, you know, she was beaten in the Cox Plate. Uh, she was tired behind state arrest, and um, yeah, no. it's, I don't think we need to go into too much depth. She's a seven-year-old mare. Uh, she's run perfectly fine, and um, we don't have many seven-year-old mares uh, racing. Um, you know, she's by Zed, 
out of a who I've never heard of, um, out of a Dan Road mayor who we do know a bit about, but um, yeah. Yeah, opulence. I, I don't really know a whole lot about the pedigree to be completely honest about it. But look, I admire the fact that they've come to Europe. Um, it is all about our middle distance horses going down there and then mopping the floor with them when trained by Australians or New Zealanders around Australia to just be politically correct <laughs> about it. Um, and look, that's great. It's terrific that our middle distance stock go down there. For them, it's great that our middle distance stock go down there and, and then thrive under their care. But take well, no, the, bring those... It's great for them, but bring those bring those horses back under their care and race them at Royal Ascot. Race them in the you're going to get obliterated. You know they weren't good enough yeah. at the very highest level here in the first place. Uh, and look, I admire the fact that they've come here, and I don't want to be bashing the Melbourne Cup too much. But it, as Charlie Fellows said on the show, which was intended to go out Thursday on Talksport, and we actually had to fade that down. I'll talk more about that in a second, um, and and cut to the news about the Queen, but. He said, look, I had a runner-up in, in the Melbourne Cup, but it's a Group 1 handicap. Like, even he was kind of shrugging his shoulders at it. Loves being part of it, loves being there, it's great and all that. But when you put it into real perspective, and it's interesting to mention the Racing Post ratings, it does not compare to the proper Group 1 form. It's a real issue that we have, both in Ireland and particularly in the United Kingdom, that very promising horses, a lot of them who would be switched to the jumps are now being purchased by Australian owners because they've got the ammunition to be able to do that because the prize money is so good down there. And it's becoming a much bigger crisis for us. Great for them. Terrible for British and Irish racing that that continues to happen. But you do have to put the Melbourne Cup in context. Um, and, and when you do, very elegant. It's ambitious what they're doing, and I applaud them for doing it, but it's not working. Yeah, but it's a good marketplace. Um, it's actually fantastic for uh, people who have a, a three-year-old colt or gelding uh, rated between ninety and one hundred and ten. Uh, the you know that will stay a mile and a half. Uh, it's a there's a, a lot of money for them. So um, so uh, I'm all for the the uh, staying program driving down in the southern hemisphere. As somebody who buys horses yourself and, and then sells them a la Dragon Symbol, how concerned yeah. are you about the current state of things in British racing with the amount of demand there is? We had Sam Hoskins on the show talking about the minimum offer for a horse who's run well in a maiden, only just beaten second or has won a maiden. You're looking at 250 grand from Hong Kong as a minimum offer. Yeah. Um, yeah, and the so, amount of money, like so, the amount of money that's going for for horses like mo like mostly cloudy would have been purchased by someone like JP or Graham Wiley in the past and go jumping and become a dual purpose horse. That's that's happening less and less these days, though. Ashin, how concerned are you about that? I'm not. I'm not. I think it's great. I mean, uh, to get horses to Hong Kong, the uh, veterinary criteria is very hard to pass. Um, so you know, it's all well and good. That horse runs to 85 or so first time out um, and that there's a possibility well normally they need two runs and there's a possibility there that they can be sold but then you know they have a little chip in their knee or a shadow on an x-ray and that dream is gone and then you hope that um, you know there's a marketplace for them in uh, Bahrain or uh, Dubai 
uh, or um, even America, uh, depending exactly on if where the issue is with those X-rays. Um, and uh, and uh, from my point of view, and from the people I write for, uh, you know, th- those marketplaces are, are important. Just to go back very briefly to the prenatal. When they rounded the final bend and Yutakitaki yeah. asked to deuce to go, I was really taken by how he accelerated into the race and I thought, oh, wow. And then suddenly he just mm. completely, the tank emptied and he just plugs on for fourth in the end. He just really keeps on. But there was a flash of brilliance there for a second. Um, yeah, but in, in, I mean, watch him in the Japanese diver. This is like a monster horse with a huge kick or watch him work on the deep wood chip um on Twitter there you get to find it. Um he uh he's he was very disappointing really and truly, you know, for for what I've seen him do. Mm. Uh Japanese champion two year old, Derby winner as you said. Uh we know those silks very well. They're the silks that Broom carries, but he will need to he will need to step up. They did say, though, he was going to need the run. Um, and perhaps he will, but by the sounds of things, yeah, Japanese... He aren't... needs to improve a stone. You know, yeah, or... yeah. But by the sounds of things, Japanese arc dream will have to be relying on one of either uh, title holder or waiting till next year, but we shall see. Um, you are going to be the subject of a new documentary, which I knew this documentary was coming. I didn't realize that you were going to be as, uh, as such a, a big part of it. Um, so the trailer was released a couple of days ago. It's called Horsepower, and we have the trailer here. So kick back for a second, Dushin. Take a, a sip of your coffee, and uh, <laughs> let, let's hear the trailer for Amazon Prime Video's uh, new documentary, Horsepower. This is wide open. The vintage Clarence nearest to us. Katerna's there. Barcher Shadow flying home as well. Andrew Balding, what a week he's having. Andrew is bred to be a trainer, driven by success. Wanting to be the best, it is the huge pressure. You are judged every day. Andrew's put himself in a position where he can challenge the big yards. We're blessed with a huge variety of owners. Wealthy, powerful people. Had a million is bit. Had a million. Had a million, a million is what I have. You go over that magic number, he's got to be a superstar. The most exciting thing is the big international fixtures. Lexington, Kentucky. Fantastic price money's always been a big draw. God, Asheen! Wow, what a ride by Asheen. He's managed to pull that one out the fire. Asheen Murphy, he's very much a number one choice. As good a rider as there is in the world. Some breaking news about the champion flat jockey, Asheen Murphy. Asheen himself will be very disappointed. How did we f*** that up? How many times have you done it, for God's sake? It is that public image that is hurting him. People saying his life wasn't worth living, death threats. I think he's going to be banned for six months. So why are we wasting money on a lawyer? It's important for me to prove that I'm as good as ever. Alcohol-free, trying to hold off the cavalry! Wouldn't be a day that I haven't thought about alcohol-free in the guineas. Just to get there is a challenge. This is her chance to prove that she is the best of her generation. Royal Ascot. Box office drama. This is the defining period. There's a shadow hanging over me with this ban. Extreme drama here at Royal Ascot. 
basket. The jockeys will give evidence like lawyers in there. Very, very tense. Machine Murphy has burst through. If he doesn't win, I can honestly say he will go to his grave an unhappy man. It's beautifully shot. It looks incredibly powerful. What was it like signing up for this and then being mic'd up and being part of, of this documentary, uh, Oshin? First of all, what was the production of it like? Uh, long. Uh, <laughs> it probably took about two years. Um, and... Uh, they they captured everything on camera, um, and I hope it's very interesting and uh, shows the reality of the workload that Andrew and I and, and all the team at Kingsgear, uh kind of go through on a week to week basis. Um, it also has kind of all the bad days and good days. Uh, they didn't miss anything, um, so. Yeah, I, I really hope people enjoy it and, and, um, and yeah, and, and, you know, it's a success, but let's see. I mean, that is the thing, like the, the most controversial and horrific thing that could happen to you is then being caught by these documentary filmmakers, uh, and, and every bit of it, even the conversation behind the scenes about what band were you looking at? And I remember talking to you about this as well, that it was six months and then it of course, emerges that it's a year, um, which was a shock. Yeah. Which was a shock to everybody. Oh, no, the, this band actually they're talking about um, is uh, the cocaine um, Franz Gallo uh, here. So literally, they have like two and a half years worth of filming, um, oh, constant. Yeah. Uh, I think four episodes. Um, so yeah, I, 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 uh, my only concern is uh, people might be a little bit concerned, or sorry, uh, confused about uh, timing. And what what we're speaking about today, but I I believe there's like dates with titles popping up, so it gives people an idea of the time frame, you know. Oh, well, that's clever, um, and that's good. Yeah. But when you're in the middle of, of something like that, and there is a literally a documentary crew with a camera in front of you, and there's a microphone on you, like even something like having to go into the stewards' room and fight Frankie Dettori. Uh, after the Campanelle Dragon Symbol incident in the Commonwealth Cup. like That's going to go out to the world anyway due to ITV and, and Sky's feed and ITV of the international rights um, to, to broadcast it around the world. So you know that's going to be there. But you then also, know, is, was it playing in the back of your mind that this is going to be on a bloody documentary, everything, single thing that I say, everything was being documented? I got used to it, really. I just behaved normally. And, um, you know, I, I think... Uh, there's, um, I'm not apprehensive about it. Like uh, people have, you know, most people know my uh, that will be watching it or have an interest in this and kind of know uh, the struggles I've had with alcohol. And um, and I think uh, that's really highlighted um, during the course of of the episode. So um, yeah, it, it might be a good insight actually. You know, for they have. They thought they were in the car with me on the way to the races, on the way home. Uh, everything is there, you know. You seem very relaxed uh, about it coming out, given everything that you've been through. Um, as yeah. as you're coming, as we're coming towards the end of the flat season and coming towards, you know, it's not that long before the end of the year. 
you are edging closer to your comeback and being able to get back onto the course. Just how hungry are you to be back in the saddle, back in the weighing room, back doing what you do best? Uh, it's a long time, you know, and I still have another five months to go. Uh, so, um, so um, I'm trying not to get too excited, but uh, but I just hope I can uh, ride well and and um, get back to you know a really high level. That's that's the dream and ambition, um, and I know I'll have to work very hard to achieve that. And what this documentary gives you an insight from its trailer of is you have had difficulties and you've been incredibly open and engaging about that. You've spoken eloquently about the battles that you've had to face and overcome. But also yeah. just how yeah. highly regarded you are and how bloody talented you are as a jockey. Is Does that give you a lot of hope as you brace for your comeback? Yes, it is five months. It feels like it's not, but five months is... When you look at the calendar, it, it obviously is going to feel that little bit further away. Is, 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 it ever, is this ever going to end? But each day brings you closer to your return. And in this, you can see um, your boss, uh, as in Sheikh Fahed, but also Andrew Balding, how highly they regard you as a person, but also as a jockey. Yeah, they're incredibly kind. I mean, they've stood by me. Uh, through some really bad days and um, I just hope that uh, you know when I'm back I can reward them on the race course and um, that's really important for me you know I I, um, I appreciate uh, everything really I mean Annalisa Boulding is like a second mother to me and um, she she really has my best interests at heart uh, so you know, watching the likes of Chaldean win is great because uh, hopefully I can partner the likes of him and when I return. Uh, but I can't take any of that for granted as well. I need to really hit the ground running and, and bang the winners in uh, straight away, you know. It is great that you're doing the show jumping and to, to great success, but also that you're getting to ride out still, like that you're still at Andrews yeah. riding out a horse like Chaldean who hopefully you'll be winning on next year. That must be great for your mindset as well. Yeah, it is. It's fantastic. Uh, it gives me a little bit of competition and something to look forward to. And uh, you know, my first love was show jumping. Um, so to be able to live that dream in a small way, I'm, I'm truly very fortunate. You know. Is there anything from now that you've learned that you will bring towards your return? to being a jockey anything that you didn't know a year this time last year that you will bring forward to when you return onto the course next year well you know obviously when tragedy occurs like Henry the Bromhead losing his son um, I went to the wake on Tuesday I mean that uh, that makes us all realise how lucky we are every day to, to wake up and um and uh, we need to attack every day. Um, you don't know how long you're on this planet for. And uh, I suppose I used to get very low, um, you know, on when I wasn't riding well or uh, if I didn't, if I had a day without a winner, I suppose. Uh, and for no reason, you know. Um, 
to people have short memories and uh, you know if I went two or three days without uh, when I used to think uh, people would lose faith in me very quickly and actually uh, that isn't the case so um, I think I'm, I must learn to to really uh, enjoy the successes and, and not get too low when when uh, it's not going the way I wanted it to you know that's a great attitude to have as well. And look, we're looking forward to you being back on the race course. Um, Thursday brought the news that Her Majesty the Queen had passed away. Spoiler alert, you and I are Irish. Um, yeah. For those who don't know, Oshin and I are from the Republic of Ireland. I'm, I'm not a royalist, but I had great respect for the Queen. And ooh, she was incredibly important to the sport of racing. It's also yeah. just bizarre. You and I were talking about this beforehand. It's bizarre to hear uh, God Save the King being sung and, and even those words being said. Uh, we haven't heard that. Aside from uh, a dramatic interpretation of a TV show uh, or a historical drama of some kind uh, or documentary, you're, you don't hear that phrase. Um, what was the Queen like to ride for and what was she like to, to speak to before and after a race? Well, incredibly knowledgeable. Uh, I used to speak to her about pedigrees because I rode the dam uh, of some, you know, the dams of some of her horses, and um, and uh, I had plenty to say to her. And you know, I used to tell her what I thought might happen in the race, and then I've had some hard look stories on her horses as well. So I'd explain, you know, very quickly. Uh, I'll say sorry first, and uh, and then. Um, what went wrong or what might have gone right and uh, I won on Tactica when our husband uh, Prince Philip passed away and um, and yeah uh, it's it's she was unbelievable for racing you know such a a figurehead for the sport and um, yeah there won't be a replacement um, really I think she's going to be missed uh, really really missed very much she was champion owner back in the day. But for for me, uh, of my age group, I, I turned 40 this year. Um, you know, I wouldn't have, have known her as, as that. But I remember the, the excitement about Carton House going for the Derby and poor Ma going on to win that. I remember Estimate winning the, the Gold Cup at Royal Ascot, having won the Queen's Vaz the year before. And what you start to realise or what you, you learn over time one of the, the things that I, I thought was fascinating was as part of her morning routine, she would read the Racing Post. And yeah. I, I loved that. I loved the fact that there's the Queen reading the Racing Post. She she was thoroughly obsessed with our sport and, and she had a real love for it. And when she came to Ireland, which was a historic visit in 2011, she made, she made a point of um, going and meet, I think it was the, was it, the Lord Mayor of Cashel is, I think at the time was Sinn Féin, again, uh, willing to be corrected. Uh, and them shaking hands was obviously a huge thing. Shaking hands with Martin McGuinness was obviously incredibly important. But after visiting Cashel, she then ducks down to Coolmore uh, <laughs> and makes sure to take in a visit there. Like, she loved it. And I, I've been lucky enough to be to Coolmore a few times. And there's a, you know that there's a, a museum that you're not allowed to have your smartphone on. In fact, you have to give your smartphone up as you walk into it. They don't want any photographs being yeah. taken. And one of the things on the wall 
is a handwritten letter from the Queen the day after visiting Coolmore, uh, thanking John and Sue Magner for their hospitality and how much she loved it. She she absolutely loved the sport, lived and breathed it, and any opportunity to be around it and to consume it, she took. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, yeah. She, her mother, loved racing as well. I never met uh, the Queen Mother, but uh, you know, um, I uh, that sort of support really helped British racing, and I just hope that we can continue to survive and prosper again in the near future. Yeah, well said. Um, what's being said today is that. The, this is in the Racing Post as well, the Queen Consort Camilla is most likely to take over the racing role. Uh, I don't have anything against her, but yeah. that, even that seems strange to say that it's... Because I remember Prince Charles and, and Camilla had a Derby prospect one year uh, running in, yeah. in their own service. Yeah, yeah. Yes, that's right. Yeah. It was Rafe Beckett. Uh, it didn't quite work out, but that's, that's not anybody's fault. Um, so she loves racing. But it's just the idea that you're not going to see the name the Queen alongside those silks anymore. is It's a strange thing. It's amazing how people have talked about how that grief has hit them in, in different ways. I, I happened to be on air. Um, I was presenting the Racing League on TalkSport 2, and it was known by management what had happened. And it was just a case of when were they going to announce it. And we thought we were only going to be on air for half an hour. We ended up being on air for an hour. But eventually my producer okay. cuts in and says, look, that's, that's it. Cut now. And I had to throw to Talk Sports Newsroom, um, where, where the news was being broken. And even that was an odd thing. That, you know, in a few years, he's got to look back on that and people say, where were you when the Queen died? I was on air. I was on UK national radio um, throwing to it. And it, yeah, it's, it, it's amazing to hear how different people have been affected by it. People who didn't think that they would be affected at all um, by her passing have have been hit in in different ways uh, with varying feelings of emotion. She was a huge figure and she was a, a huge presence, and I think the sport's going to miss her dearly. Um, yeah, no, there's no doubt. We we also lost John Magner's mother uh, over the weekend, Eve Stockwell, who was she was a real force. Yeah, she was terrific. I mean. Um, uh, she was, um, as Aidan O'Brien, uh, or sorry, as uh, Aidan McCoy said about Her Majesty the Queen, the Queen, she was an incredible uh, brute now, but um, Mrs. Stockwell was also, and um, and uh, very passionate, and obviously she had some terrific horses to to run in her colours, um, and uh, you know, she lived uh, to a marvellous age, and yeah, it, it was great to see Tom Magnus post on Twitter um, saying goodbye to his grandmother. Yeah, if there's anything, if there's any kind of positive at all that comes out of it, it's that both women lived to incredible ages. Um, yeah. And lived remarkable lives. Uh, and that's the, the only thing that you can say as a positive, but it is deeply saddening for, for the Magner family and, and for everyone who knew Mrs. Stockwell. Um, she was a lovely woman. And... Uh, and she will be greatly missed. Um, in the world of jump racing, we got some very interesting news today. Uh, first of all, rumours of Michael O'Leary's demise are greatly exaggerated. The, the idea that he was going to step away from the sport seems to be slowly doing one uh, with each week that goes as another horse is bought at a sale for, uh, by Eddie for Michael. 
which I'm delighted about. I would have hate, hated Michael to, to leave the sport. But we also get the news today that six years to the month, six years to the month after Gigginstan and Willie Mullins split, they're back. Uh, and a very expensive horse who, who looked the business uh, by winning a Clonmel bumper when trained by Richard O'Brien, Shanbally Kid, is one of the horses who was being sent to, to Willie Mullins. For all that that was a massive story and there were the ramifications of it for years afterwards, Apple's Jade winning the Mare's Hurdle, beating Vroom Vroom Mag in the process and how that would have played out had she remained a Willie Mullins horse and all of those different things uh, and what would have happened with the Gold Cup, Gold Cup prospects uh, and how things would have gone. They remained very courteous to one another. Like Michael and Eddie would go over and yeah. shake hands with Willie after a, a big race success. The same was true of Willie, who would go over and congratulate them. And they famously, in honour of, of Pat Smullen, there was uh, the auction where you could bid for a stable tour of Willie Mullins' yard. Both men have been to Willie Mullins' yard more times than, than they can remember. And yet it was Eddie who paid for it. And um, they took him up on it. Gordon went along with them as well. I'm delighted that they're back in business together. Yeah, as am I. It's good for the sport. And um, look, no doubt Willie will train, as will Gordon and um, and Henry. They, they'll have a lot more success together. Yeah, it's um, it's only a matter of time. The quote from Eddie O'Leary was, it's a long road that doesn't turn. They're back. Yeah, I like that. We, we, shall, we shall see. Um, there's breaking news today, by the way. Uh, this has only happened as we're recording. Ladbrokes and coral owner Entan is being the subject of an investigation by authorities in Australia over potential breaches of its anti-money laundering and counter-terrorism financing obligations. Deary me. Right. Uh, this comes on the back yeah. of a £17 million fine which was issued to them by the UK Gambling Commission uh, only weeks ago. And um, yeah, this this investigation is currently ongoing. So look, we'll bring you more on it when we have it. We'll talk about it on TalkSport. We'll talk about it here in the final furlong as well. Uh, that's definitely one for Kean. Uh, we'll find out more about that, but better mention it. And of course, it was already a massive uh, money laundering investigation and license suspension for Matchbook. So I wonder, is that, gonna, is that then leading to something similar for Ladbrokes Coral? We shall see how that plays out. Uh, over the weekend, my friend, what was the big highlight for you that you want to take away from Irish Champions Weekend? Tahira, uh, Dermot Wells, Philly. It's the two-year-old excitement. It's the it's the hope that kills you, Oshin. Yeah. But damn, she looks very, That's very it. impressive. Um, it's it's Luxembourg for me, and I suspect we're headed for a clash with Bayid in the Ark, and I'm very excited about that. Luxembourg now, your 6-1 to favourite with Kaluki. Oshin, a pleasure talking to you, as always. Thank you so much for your time and your insight. Um, we're looking forward to seeing the documentary, but more importantly, we're looking forward to seeing you back on a race course sooner rather than later. Thanks very much, Eric. Thank you so much, Oshin, and uh, thank you for listening. Hopefully Cheers. you've enjoyed it and had some good insight. We will talk to you again during the week on The Final Furlong Podcast. Be safe, be well, God bless. The Final Furlong Podcast is proudly brought to you by our official betting partner, Kaluki Sportsbook. With betting on all sports, immediate interaction with experienced traders, instant withdrawals, and the best odds guaranteed on UK and Irish horse racing. Kaluki have prominent betting pitches at race courses across the UK. Join us now at kalukisportsbook.co.uk. And the final furlong is brought to you by our official syndicate partner, All About Sunday. The ultimate racehorse ownership experience. Download the app to get involved with world-class trainers, including Henry de Bromhead, Gordon Elliott, and Donald McKay. Join us at allaboutsunday.com.